curtain has finally fallen on Norwich City's Premier League tragedy. The latest show was one that the directors and producers promised would be a major hit. Instead, it was another torrid tale that saw a much-loved protagonist removed inside the opening half of the first act before being replaced by an experienced and steady character hoping to ride his way through the storm. In the end, the rest of the performers were unable to prevent the plot from unfolding in the miserable yet predictable conclusion many feared. This is this week's Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Connor Southwell. And joining us to sift through the wreckage of uh, the Canaries' uh, top flight season, as well as that 5-0 defeat to Tottenham, uh, is Paddy Davitt and Adam Harvey. So, Pad, on, on the theme of uh, of the introduction that I've just given there, how would you review Norwich City's Premier League campaign if we were to go down that old-fashioned way of looking at it? It's been um, one that will probably be consigned to the history books for all the wrong reasons, truth told. Yeah, well, I was trying, as you were explaining that, Connor, I was trying to uh, come up with some sort of pivy Oscar-related um, theme, but it wasn't really working. So, uh, yeah, it certainly isn't uh, <laughs> isn't uh, isn't one that they'll be turning into an Oscar winner, that's for sure, or, or, or a play in the West End, if we want to labour this theme a little bit. But uh, it was essentially... Um, another hugely disappointing attempt at Premier League sustainability. And if we're being brutally honest, to even label it an attempt feels a little bit disingenuous. You know, that, for me, certainly is the most damning indictment that it didn't feel like an attempt, not one worthy of the name. There wasn't a competitiveness to it. I put it in my pointers, actually, after the game on Sunday, uh, which was an entirely predictable outcome. I think we all felt that anyway, uh, as good as Tottenham were and are. Um, that, you know, fundamentally, it just feels that, you know, Leeds scrambled to safety, finished 17th, I think, and Norwich are 16 points behind them. How can you be 16 points behind the club who finished 17th, let alone the clubs above them? And as you, you know, tick into mid-table and then above, it just really... And then you look at the goals scored, the goals they conceded, the minus 61 goal difference. Only that wretched Derby team apparently have a worse goal difference in Premier League history. You know, all all the metrics pulled together underlying what was really uh, a, a completely timid, anemic offering from Norwich on the pitch, off the pitch. And um, as we sit here still, uh, we're yet to hear from... Uh, Anybody above Dean Smith in the Norwich food chain, be it that sporting director, be it that executive director, or be that owners and board level. Um, and the silence is deafening now. And, uh, you know, in that void, understandably, there's a lot of frustration, which was already there, you know, and, and in certain quarters has expressed itself in protest. Again, the last three home games, there was, there was that post-match backdrop, whatever the scale of the protest, it is there, you can't ignore it. Um, and that... But, it, but even if you put that to one end of the spectrum, I, I think the majority, the ones who are maybe had tickets and, and were not going to games, I spoke to somebody, I won't reveal his identity, a long-standing season to older. He said, um, essentially, they stayed in the bar at half-time um, and, 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 and very swiftly uh, left uh, in the second half. Um, and, and in his view, anybody who really stayed as a fan for that lap of appreciation, um, Sherrard, he, he couldn't understand really the, the mindset. You know, why would you want to applaud the football club generally, but, you know, Dean Smith and his players for what they 
didn't serve up over the over the previous eight or nine months. And as you rightly said at the outset, Connor, not, not solely Dean Smith, it was Daniel Farker and his coaching staff. Um, you know, palpably as a club, they got it very, very badly wrong. And until we hear from the people who shaped this direction of travel, it is hard to move on. It is hard to say, okay, that season's gone. We'll close the door on that. Let's look forward, as Dean Smith has been trying to do, trying to nudge that dial to what comes next and what that comes what comes next in terms of transfer situation and then beyond that, moving into the championship. You know, all of that, I'm sure, is where fans want to look to, to a brighter horizon, albeit back in the Football League. But it's very hard to get past closing the door on what's gone if you don't hear from the people who were in charge of what that looked like and, and why it, it looked like that and why it was so uncompetitive. We all have our theories. We all feel we know the areas where they got it badly wrong. Um, but we need to hear some culpability and acknowledgement and uh, and probably then to throw it forward, why it's going to be any different moving on from here if the same characters are in place. Absolutely. This is the fourth week now since No City's relegation was confirmed. Um, we're obviously recording this on, on the Tuesday after the, the Tottenham game, but it was it was the 30th of April against Aston Villa that their relegation was confirmed. We sat here on the, on, on the 24th of, of May and still no word from, from anyone uh, above Dean Smith, who, of course, is contractually obliged to, to give interviews as well. So um, that obviously will will need to change at some point, because for me, it feels like to actually fully put a, a line under what has been a torrid season, as we said at the outset, there does need to be some communication and some accountability as well, I think. And, and people want to hear some answers to some very pointed questions as well, I'm sure, as to why this season hasn't panned out differently. And uh, and I was looking actually um, today where we were a year ago, and it was the day that, that we released our kind of big documentary on the on the championship title season winning um extravaganza that was last year in, in those COVID times. Fans obviously, were, obviously weren't there to see it, but it just goes to show how quickly football moves on because that feels like a lifetime ago now. And there was lots of praise for Daniel Farker and Stuart Webber. And, and 12 months later, one isn't at the club anymore and another one is is coming under increasing pressure. So, um, yeah, all, all very interesting. But Adam, um, to, to reflect on Sunday a little bit, did, did anything surprise you, A, about the result, the 5-0 defeat, but but also the performance? Because I think, actually, we when you look over the piece, that, that's a performance that is just kind of relatively standard for this this group of Norwich City players this season. When, when Paddy talks about a lack of competitiveness, OK, Spurs have quality, but this was another glaring example of just how short Norwich City are at this level. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the... You know, Arsenal fans and the media were bigging it up because Spurs still needed to, to come to Carrow Road and, and get at least a point to, to guarantee their top four place. And I think most Norwich fans were saying to Spurs fans, don't worry, you know, you're going to come to Carrow Road and probably roll over and, and get an easy three points. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, it's just what we've come to expect from Norwich. I mean, the goals they're shipping and, and it's more just the nature of the goals they're shipping. I mean, the, the second goal, the mistake from Krull. I mean, you'd get punished at League Two, even in the National League, for that kind of that silly error and that kind of defensive, you know, mistakes that Norwich are making on a, on a regular basis. And I think you know, effectively, Norwich playing in the top flight and, and they're failing to to cut those out. So, yeah, it's just another frustrating performance. And I think obviously Norwich had their opportunities in the game as well. I mean, Rashid has obviously had that chance. Uh, was it one nil or two nil at that point? And he's obviously failed to hit the target in, in a fairly decent shooting position. And I think that's just been the story of Norwich's season. You know, it's 
they're just not competing. And then when they do get the chances, they fail to take them. So effectively, they get punished and rightfully so. They, they lost that game, well, in, in a similar fashion as they have most games this season. Yeah, and we can we can talk about Dejan Kulusevski and the quality he has. I thought he was the, the best player on the pitch on Sunday. But by the same token, when you can afford to essentially miss an open goal, um, attempting to give Human Son a goal for the golden boot, and then only a few minutes later, cut inside Dimitris Yunulis with ease and then curl one into the top corner. It's 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 pretty ridiculous, isn't it? But, Pad, I mean, I, I did want to talk about the the lap of thanks, I think, as it was officially labelled. I mean, I've I've uh, been been going to Carrow Road now for for well over a decade. I'm not sure I've seen a sadder thing on 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 the football pitch than than that. It was, um, and and that's not to blame the supporters. I think it's just a case of what the what the situation is. But like you say, I was I was possibly surprised by how many stayed. Although speaking to a few that did, um, the the feedback I kind of got is, well, I was intrigued to see what would happen. Uh, I was intrigued to see what sort of reception they got. And as they walked over to the Barclay, there there were some boos. I'd say they they probably did get drowned out by applause eventually. But I mean, it, it, it kind of felt like the ultimate act of humiliation for me for, for that Norwich City group of players who were, of course, led around the pitch by by their head coach, Dean Smith. And on that front, I asked him, well, when he came off that pitch and in very short order was in front of us um, for his post-match media, I said, what did that feel like? You know, how tough was that? And he said, I think words to the effect, paraphrasing him, he never wants to repeat that again for the reasons and the emotions you've outlined, you know. They're professional people. He's a professional, never experienced relegation in his coaching career. And they will be embarrassed. They, uh, they will be, you know, feeling that, you know, they've been a long way short and their frailties and their weaknesses were, were ruthless, ruthlessly exposed and then more so than Sunday. You know, you know, there was this dynamic at the final whistle where Smith and his coaching staff and his players both the ones who were involved and the likes of Billy Gilmore and Brandon Williams, who who weren't, I thought thought it was a bit harsh. Sam McCallum was out there as well, given that he didn't, you know, have any material impact or involvement on that season. But but as they gravitated towards the centre circle, what was taking place in front of the away end was serenading Antonio Conte and those players um, for achieving Champions League qualification, and and it was essentially. This is Norwich's house, and and they were having to sort of stand there and take it and, and watch that that celebratory feel in their own stadium. And then when Tottenham decided it was time to to move over, uh, Norwich then had to take centre stage. It was just a very uh, pitiful sight, really, from a Norwich perspective. And and credit too. I mean, I, I, I recounted that story of a season ticket holder who, who couldn't quite get his head around anybody who would have stayed uh, to to applaud that season essentially but but credit to the ones who did because I think overwhelmingly it was a positive reaction and again Dean Smith referenced that after the game almost we didn't deserve it we didn't deserve for them A fans to still be in the stadium but B to in the main um, you know applaud us back but they did and and it you know without having canvassed opinion from the ones who, who did stay maybe, maybe that's a reflection that their frustration and their you know scrutiny lies elsewhere, lies with not Smith as a head coach, who was, was given a, a very tough order uh, and ultimately wasn't able to do much more than Daniel Farker probably would have been able to do with that group of players. Maybe not even the players as well. I mean, you couldn't argue that they gave everything and they, they tried what they tried, but fundamentally they're not good enough. They didn't have the quality as a collective 
front or back, with or without the ball, to compete week in, week out at Premier League level. So where does the accountability lie? Is it with Dean Smith and those players or is it in other areas? And, and increasingly, it feels that most fans, um, even if they're not moved to protest, uh, they feel that the culpability lies above Dean Smith and those group of players. And that isn't to excuse Dean Smith and those players. And Dean Smith, I think, interestingly now, he's getting far more scrutiny and far more criticism of, of the fact that he wasn't able to materially improve this group bar, you know, you know those wet first couple of games when he when he came in, which, of course, he was always going to get a, a tune out of a group who were desperate to impress. There was that little fertile period in January where they, they beat Everton, they beat Watford and got themselves out of the bottom three for a, a gloriously brief interlude. But thereafter, um, the spiral was, was as probably downward as it would have been under Daniel Farker, which has prompted quite a few now fans to ask, well, why did they make the change? You know, what, what did Dean Smith bring that Daniel didn't? And, and they are valid questions, but, you know, I keep st- sticking to the, to the, the thought that give him a window to put his own in stamp on it, which he was denied in January, even if it isn't wholesale changes, he clearly has identified areas of the squad. And he talked to Ben about the lack of athleticism, the lack of energy, the, the sort of drive that you need in the middle of the park when you don't have the ball to go and win it back again. Um, he's talked previously about you know the Buendia-shaped hole they need to fill in terms of the top end of his midfield. So give him a window, give him a pre-season away from, you know, we're in a tight spot, but we need to win games of football. And I'll just try and, by hook or by crook, come up with a, a template that can get us Premier League points because we need to. We, we're not in, in a phase where we can experiment. He, he's, that's removed. He's got a pre-season to really embed his philosophy you know, he's talked rather cryptically about these four points that that will will define his playing style. Now, um, didn't really want to go into too much detail what they are. I think they'll become fairly apparent uh, very early on next season. But but ultimately, remove you know any element that that isn't a Dean Smith team now. That isn't a squad that he's had a transfer window to do something with. And then time in pre-season, freed from the relentlessness of trying to win Premier League games of football. Uh, to, to actually instill his principles and his values. And then, you know, for me, then that removes any any barrier to to say he's exempt from, from scrutiny. And what I would say, which isn't in his favour, unfortunately, and it sort of flows back to this information void that, that we're kind of enduring at present, is that I think patience will be wafer thin uh, with the football club, with him and whatever squad he's got under him. When they, when they go... On the weekend of July the thirty first, they need to go and go hard because I think if ten games in and um, you know they're, they're at the wrong end of the championship, uh, I think you you will then start to see much much more angst being expressed by a much wider constituency of Norwich fans than there are at present. That is for sure. So um, he will have to deal with that. I'm sure he's experienced enough to know that that's there and that's in the background. But while it is probably right to to start to question him given he had 20, whatever it was, two games, 23 games to work with this group. I don't think we, I don't think you can judge him yet. I think you have to reserve judgment till we get the other side of a transfer window and, and into the meat of a, a new season. Um, but fundamentally, you know, to bring it full circle, um, that was a site which I'm sure he never wishes to have to repeat again in his coaching career, and certainly not as, as head coach of Norwich. You know, he will be asking those players to you know, use that almost as fuel, as motivation, that do you want to be back here again at any point in your, in your careers, you know, having to sort of 
essentially embarrass yourselves and, uh, and put yourself out there for whatever criticism that was going to come their way. And it's a tribute to those Norwich fans that, by and large, yes, there was a small pocket of booze, I felt. I thought it was more sort of when they got around towards the snake pit area. But, but you know, there may have been a few in dissenting voices in the Barclay. But overwhelmingly, that was a positive reaction. And as Dean Smith rightly said, they probably didn't deserve that. So, uh, you know, testament to those Norwich fans. But, you know, by no manner of means do, do you want to have to go through that too often in your career because, you know, visibly, graphically, it illustrated their failures as individuals and as a collective. Yeah, and, and let's be honest, the majority had, had already made their feelings known by leaving the seat and leaving the stadium, right? So even though the, the overwhelming reaction maybe was positive uh, of the people who were in the ground, the vast majority weren't in the ground. They'd already gone. They'd already made their, their feelings clear. And ultimately, that's possibly the most powerful way you can do it by leaving a, a football ground early. And they haven't had a lot to cheer in recent weeks either. You look at Norwich City's last three home games, it's an aggregate score of uh, of 12-0 to, to the opposition. So... I mean, it's it's just simply staggering. And, and it comes back to the point that we keep speaking about, about competitiveness or or lack of, which is why I think it seems to great supporters so much more when it's Norwich City in this position. Because if, if Norwich City were to get relegated, having finished 18th maybe, um, but knowing that they gave it a real go, they went to the wire, I think I think maybe people could stomach that a little bit more than what they're seeing at the moment, which is just a complete um, lack of of competitiveness at, at this level consistently. Before we move on from the lap of thanks as well, it's worth noting that the uh, the women's team also had a, a lap of thanks before the game, which um, felt to me a little bit poorly handled, given that they were a Norwich City team who have completed a, a great escape this season. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of people would have liked to have, uh, to, to have given them a good reception as well for what they've achieved this season, which was pretty miraculous by all accounts, but that, that didn't happen. Um, it's, it's uh, it's it's not wasn't great in my opinion. Um, to 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 move on then, Adam, because I I don't really want to dwell on talking about the game too much because as, as you kind of said, it was it was as we expected, probably as we've seen a lot of this season. Um, there was a lot of players I felt who who maybe and Dean Smith kind of hinted at this that he felt was were were on the sun lounges after the second and third goal went in, just in terms of body language. Um, it was a, a really interesting expression that he used maybe when he came through the mix zone he obviously comes through uh the mix zone where I, I i tend to be to speak to a player before then going through to and speaking to pad in the press conference and he was speaking to uh chris gorham of radio norfolk um and he said the big challenge for him this summer uh, certainly around the mentality is shifting what he described as a nice and comfortable mentality into one which was um hard work and uh, but also enjoyable I think is is the words he used um he, he wants to remove kind of that that nice tag which kind of lends me really to when we when we throw this ahead and look at this summer given what Dean Smith has, has outlined in his in his public utterances around this squad and he's been quite scathing at times around what he wants to do to it and how he feels it's underperformed is one window enough time for him to really implement the changes that he wants to is that too big of a job for him to transition from where we're at right now to the opening day of the championship season is it too much to expect Norwich City to be where maybe some would expect them to be in order to go again and compete in the championship yeah I think he's got two tasks he's obviously got the the job of trying to shift this losing culture as he's talked about for for weeks on end now this team that's been so used to losing and they need to go back into the championship and, and turn that round straight away and hit the ground running and start winning games pretty quick because the problem is with the championship is if you know you're sort of mid-table 
by the halfway stage, it's very, very difficult to, to push your way up. I mean, there has been a few teams that have done it this season. Sheffield United and Nottingham Forest, probably the most notable ones. But the championship is pretty tough and, and pretty grueling. And, and this season, it's going to be even worse because obviously we've got that World Cup break. So they're going to have to really hit the ground running. But I think what's probably the most notable point is that someone like Daniel Farker, I mean, that first season that he had in the championship where you could see what he was trying to do. He was trying to instill you know, this possession-based football, this football that no Norwich fan had ever seen before and even very few championship fans have probably ever seen that style of sort of possession-based football and very attacking football that he brought to brought to the club and, and most fans took to pretty quickly. And I think Dean Smith obviously has got his own identity that he wants to stamp on this squad, but it might take him time to do that because, you know, effectively this squad that he's currently got aren't his and the players that come in are going to need time to gel to to what he wants from them and, and obviously with the other players that still remain at the club. So I do think, you know, you have maybe got to give him a little bit of time, but obviously with football, we all know that the time often is something that fans, you know, aren't willing to wait for and they want results and an instant, you know, sort of something on the pitch to, to cling to straight away. So it's a difficult one, but I do think you've got to give Dean Smith a little bit of time in the championship. And I do think that he's definitely got the sort of, you know, the, the chance to maybe build a squad. We've seen him do it at Brentford. We've seen him do it at Aston Villa and he's got both of them out of the league eventually. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably a good point to, to sort of talk about there. Yeah, and time is a, a precious commodity in football, as, as you quite rightly say. And and that's going to be the challenge, isn't it, Pad? To, I mean, it's already a short off-season as it is. Norwich City are, are back for testing uh, a month today, actually, as it happens, as we record. So four weeks, that's that's uh, that's the same amount of time as it's been since they were relegated, to put that into perspective. So, so it's felt like an eternity, but um, not really, in reality, a long period of time. So... There's a lot that needs to be done from where Norwich City are now to where they probably need to be when they get back for pre-season and then even more so for the opening day of the of the championship season. So we talk about time and Dean Smith getting time and I think he will he will get time. But if they think things are bad now in terms of the reaction around this Premier League relegation, then they're going to be in for a bit of a shock if that continues in the championship. Which you, you, which is true. Which is why I think, given he's an experienced operator, he knows that it can't be wholesale. You can't, you can't say to. I mean, apart from the mechanics of how do you move on? I don't know. Pick, pick a number. Fifty to sixty percent of that squad, it's just feasibly not going to happen. Um, even if you wish to do um, a slash and burn policy, so he knows it needs to be far more incremental, far more nuanced. Um, and that will be a deft skill because you're essentially going to be relying, I think, still on the majority of this squad um, who have palpably failed to deliver at Premier League level. But at least in terms of that point you raise about trying to hit the ground running, that's going to be a lot easier if you've got you know the nucleus, shall we say, um, of a, a group which, again, as Dean Smith has been at pains to stress, players who not only one championship title under the belt, but in some cases two, that they, they know how to operate in the championship. It was, and on the point I'd put to him a couple of Fridays ago now about, yeah, but what about if they, you know, the mental, uh, not the championship again, I can't be bothered with it. I want the glamour of the Premier League. I don't think mentally I can get my head around it. And he said, we'd swiftly make sure that wasn't the case. So him and Shakespeare primarily. Um, so I, I'm less concerned that, that that you'll have this major churn because, as Adam rightly says, and as you rightly say, you know, one window isn't going to be enough to get to the end of that, and it's everything that Dean Smith wants has been delivered, and now he can crack on. I think he's 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 savvy enough to know it might take another 
well, more than one window, certainly, but probably in, into a, you know, a two or three, four window cycle. We saw how that was required under Daniel Farker before he got to a point where, you know, that blended with developing young talent um, slash the players you already had, had here um, produced at championship level, tremendous results um, on two separate occasions. So, you know, we have to take him at his word. He said he doesn't need or doesn't feel it's going to take wholesale changes. He talked clearly now about finding that 10 type player, you know, who can, we're not saying he can find a like for like Emmy Buendia type player, but certainly somebody in that ilk. And I also feel it's quite clear now, um, even before Tottenham, but certainly after Tottenham and how he spoke about simply not having that athleticism and that drive and that energy that he feels they need in in the middle of the park. And somebody made a good point, actually. We did a Pink and Plus Q&A the other day um, and they looked back at his Villa teams and you had, you know, players like John McGinn. And again, I'm not saying it's going to be as simple as going and find another John McGinn, but there's a template for a midfielder, you know, Douglas Louise as well at Aston Villa. You know, those type of players, I think, are what Dean Smith is looking to add. And if, and if he got those... I think he looks at the top end of the pitch. We know he is a massive fan of Timu Puki. We also know he's a massive fan of Adamida. I think he look at it and think, yeah, that'll do me in the championship. I don't need to. I don't need to necessarily go out and, and focus too much of my energy this summer in the window uh, looking to do anything at the top end of the pitch. Likewise, defensively, I think you've got Angus Gunn there. Whatever happens to Tim Krul, you know he would be a very reliable starting option in the championship. You've got Omabama Delhi to drop into that defensive unit with the likes of Sam Byram, Yanulis. Uh, Barley Mumba, even if Max was to depart, um, Gibson and Hanley, whether they're both here come the end of the window, who knows? But but I just get the sense he looks at the the the, the makeup of this squad in terms of constituent units of a team, and he probably is thinking it's midfield. I just need to address midfield in this window. If I get that to my satisfaction, I think I've got enough there in the building to to start reasonably well, and certainly over the entirety of the championship season to be competing for promotion. So that's easier said than done. And, um, you know, they will need to, I'm sure, have to be very astute in, in the players that they do go and target because there's no doubt any player Norwich goes for, certainly if they're competing with Premier League clubs, it's going to be a very hard sell. So so that in itself is very difficult. I, cer- I certainly think if they're going for, cl- for players with other championship clubs, the financial power they've got now relative to the vast majority of the championship, you know, Steve Morrison at formerly of the parish, now Cardiff boss, he, he was speaking there a couple of weeks ago about the churn that will be around the championship this summer because the finances simply aren't there for those clubs without parachute money to fall back on um, is going to be pretty graphic, pretty pretty um, pretty seismic, he felt. So conversely, Norwich coming down with, we're led to believe, the, the, the most stable financial position since Weber arrived, armed with the parachute money. Dean Smith confirmed on Friday um, he doesn't need to sell first. There is money available for him. So all of that leads you to think if they're astute in their recruitment, they should be able to get the targeted additions across that midfield, I think, that will afford Dean Smith the opportunity then to go, you know what, there's not a huge amount of work needed here in this window um, to get Norwich to be a very competitive entity. But that's, you know, that's all well and good. You know, he says... There won't be a hangover. He says, if there's any players who don't really want to be part of it, we'll move. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get that out of them, or we'll look to move them on. That's all well and good, but the practicalities of starting a season with that overhang of the window, which will be the same case again, and probably even more marked, given the championship kicks off 
very early, you know, end of July, start of August, there's going to be a full month of inevitable speculation around maybe some of his better players and are they going to be here or not. And um, and that doesn't that doesn't improve the prospects of Norwich hitting the ground running and just focusing solely on that end point, which is getting back to the Premier League at the first available opportunity. So, you know, there's so many moving parts to how this will play out. Um, but fundamentally, I think you just you just have to to look at Smith, look where he's been, look how long he's been in the game. As he said, you know, he's been out of football. I don't know what was that figure he quoted when he first took over. You know, a matter of weeks is it in 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 a career which has been football since he was 17 years of age. He's 50, early 50s now. So um, I think he's a very stable operator. And in this scenario, where there could be so much churn, when you contrast with the situation of Burnley, who've joined him in the Championship, you know, that that looks to be a hellishly difficult summer they've got to navigate. And, you know, you see from a distance reports of £60 million loans having to be repaid. They still haven't got a, a head coach confirmed yet to replace Sean Dyche. That looks a much more difficult ask for them to be in a competitive state come the start of the season. And of course, Watford, the other club who've joined them in the Premier League, well, they've gone in a very radical direction for them under the Pozzo sort of ownership model of plucking a guy who took Forest Green out of League Two. So, that, you know, there's a huge degree of unpredictability about that. And that plays out with Watford, I think, as well. So, of the three relegated clubs, maybe bizarrely, probably Norwich are in the best position, it feels like, moving forward now in terms of that stability. Maybe it doesn't feel like that at the minute, of course, given, you know, the, the sort of the lack of answers and cl- lack of clarity from the top, but um, publicly at least. But um, but I, I think under Smith's stewardship on the football aspect of this, I, th- I think they'll be okay. I, I, I don't, I'll be, I'll be very surprised if it pans out as we envisage and it is the rump of the same squad with one or two additions that they're not able to hit the ground in a reasonably competitive way. I, I, I just don't see a scenario where they're 10th after, you know, 10 games. I just don't see that at all. So, um, but stranger things have happened. And we, we saw how West Brom struggled when they went down last summer. Um, you know, there's no guarantee, absolutely no guarantee. And you can put out your mind that they've done it twice before under Weber at this level um, because it's a different head coach and, and there's a different mood around the place, I think, now. Um and for those reasons alone, I think whatever's gone before under this regime in the championship, you can put that to one side because that isn't going to really have any impact whatsoever. Um, this now is very firmly a different phase we're embarking upon under Dean Smith and unless he, com- unless he comes out and says different, Stuart Webber. We live Norwich City. The builder. The passion. The drama. The last minute winners. The debate. That's why we've created Pink and Plus. Plus. The app that takes you beyond the headlines. With exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered. Subscribe today. Pink and Plus. Stay ahead of the game. Download now on the App Store and on Google Play. Adam, I think I think Paddy's made some some really good points there, uh, particularly the ones around the teams that Norwich are, are coming down with. I mean, it, it's interesting that actually you look at last season's Premier League teams who got relegated, two out of the three didn't 
didn't stay up. One made the playoffs, Sheffield United, and were beaten in the in the semi-finals. Fulham obviously won the league, and um, and West Brom really struggled and ended up languishing in in mid table. So it can be a a tough adaptation period, but ultimately Norwich have done this bit very well in the past. This this transition to the championship. And even though personally, I, I feel probably as concerned as I have done after a, a relegation for, for various reasons around what the squad looks like and uh, and different elements, maybe including the the, the disconnect that, that fans are feeling at the moment. And there's been plenty written and, and plenty said on that. We spoke about it at length on, on last week's podcast. They do tend to get this bit right quite often and, and have done recently and and actually compared to other relegated clubs and also lots of clubs in the championship they're in a in a relatively strong position so I know every relegation feels like chaos and feels like um, the world is ending in a football sense maybe maybe it doesn't have to be that way if we're to to apply some balance onto the onto the situation yeah, obviously, historically, Norwich have always managed to often bounce back at the, at the first time of asking. So there's no real reason why they couldn't do that again. And as Pad alluded to, you know, the likes of Burnley are in a lot sort of worse financial position than what Norwich are. And you'd back Norwich with most of the squad they've got, sort of the main core of players have obviously been there and done it before. They know how to get out of this league and, and not just get out of this league, but get sort of, you know, the high 90s in terms of points. So there's no real reason why they can't go and do that again. Obviously, that ultimately is the problem. Norwich have got a squad that even when they go to the Premier League is probably more of a championship outfit than a, than a Premier League outfit. So I think if they can quickly shift and forget this season and, and get themselves in a sort of mental place where they can really attack the championship next season and the teams that are in it, then I really can't see a reason why Norwich can't be in at least that top six mix. Obviously, the transfer window is, is pretty crucial. Obviously, Stuart Webber has been heavily criticised for his Premier League recruitment, but at the championship, you know, we've seen it now for two or three seasons where he's often got the championship recruitment bang on the money. And most of the times where he's had that championship recruitment, he's not really had a lot of financial sort of opportunity to really spend. And if Norwich can obviously get a few sales and the fact that they are in a fairly decent financial position going down to the championship, if they can sort of spend the money wisely and, and get some very good championship sort of players, then I really don't see any reason why they can't be in, in amongst that mix. Obviously, there's a lot of teams probably in the Championship that maybe feel like they've got an opportunity this season. I think, obviously, Swansea under Russell Martin, I think they're the kind of team that, you know, Norwich should probably go fear because they've been in that division. They've maybe got a bit of an identity now and, and they know how to maybe sort of grind out some points in the Championship and Norwich have got to get back to being able to grind out points in, in games where maybe at, you know, 90th minute they're 1-0 up. They're going to have to see out games where this season we've seen that sort of frailty in their game where they do concede a lot of goals. So they need to quickly sort of snap out of that and I think kick on straight away. And that's probably going to be the most important thing. I think if Norwich don't start the season well, then I can see it being a, a difficult season, almost like what West Brom have done, where they actually start the season quite well, but free sort of, well, they free fall into sort of a mid-table finish. I think Norwich have basically got to kick on and, and really maintain that over the course of the season. Yes, uh, agreed. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate that fall because it can be so difficult. and. Um... They have had a bit of time to prepare as well, particularly over someone like Burnley, whose fate have only been confirmed this weekend. And that's kind of before you get into the, the reports around the financial side of, of their club at the moment, as Paddy outlined, which is um, really quite concerning. So so there maybe is an argument to suggest that Norwich will have an, a, an advantage over over several in terms of situation, situationally, but also financially as well. Um, it's just a case of whether, as we spoke about earlier in the pod, they can transition and do all the work that needs to be done in such a short period of time and and whether they can get it to look like something that is a polished championship 
um, promotion competing outfit um, by the time we we all start again. But worth noting in, in the last two campaigns, both of which ended with the the, the championship title, they didn't exactly fly out of the blocks either. So I, I'm sure there will be an element of patience afforded to to Dean Smith um, ahead of next season. And um, Paddy, you you wrote something a little while back. You probably don't even remember writing it, but you, you said when when Norwich City sacked Daniel Farker, their project lost a little bit of purity, which I think is is a spot on, but also quite interesting when you when you find the situation they're in at the moment because. Um, if you look back at some of the interviews that Stuart Webber gave after after relegation a couple of years ago, it was it was all talk about how it would be different next time, and and it was very much the case last summer about why this season would be would be different. Ultimately, it's not panned out of that. Is there an element to say that maybe this? I don't know if I'd call it a silence, but certainly a, a period of consideration about what the message will be. Is that a suggestion? Maybe that they've almost run out of narrative in terms of what this project now is because. Uh, as you as you wrote, ditching Daniel Farker was a completely different step in in, in a new direction and one that has ultimately um, produced the, the the same result. So, where where do you go from here if you are Stuart Webber trying to put out a message of what comes next and what what the future and what next season and and the next time they're in the Premier League, if they're in the Premier League again, we hope they do, they are obviously what that looks like. Difficult. I mean, it's difficult. I mean. You would say that when, rather than if, uh, Stuart Webber does do some media in, in some form, there, there will be elements, anything he says, that's it, they've had enough, they've had, they, they don't want to hear it. Whether it's you know trying to, trying to be positive, and as you said there, Connor, trying, you know, the Mia Culpa again, which we got two seasons ago at this stage when they'd gone down, that, you know, the book stops with me. I think it was paraphrasing him, but you know, don't don't train your guns on, on Daniel Farker. Basically, that we didn't back him well enough recruitment wise, and he, he almost didn't have a chance before he got started in that season. Um, you know, even if he went down that path again and, and tried to take some of the heat off, you know, Dean Smith, I, people won't have it. You know, people won't have it because they've heard it before. So it's it's very hard to really see what he can say. Different, and of course, we've got you know, rightly or wrongly, we've got the whole toxicity around you know that Times interview prior to the Newcastle defeat. Um, you know the the implication that it, he somehow isn't fully committed anymore, that he's distracted, that his head's elsewhere. He would refute that very strongly, I'm sure. We said at the time, we'll still maintain you know these these ninety percent sound bites that people have jumped on. You know that that clearly is there's uh, no relation to the to the man's you know commitment to to the football club you know because he's built this up you know why would he want to you know go in a direction where where that is now in jeopardy because it's ultimately his legacy fundamentally you know this is while he still remains in his position then you know this this will all flow into not only the 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 positive parts of what he's achieved and undoubtedly he has I wrote about it at the weekend you know you could you will measure it in bricks and mortar you can mention it measure it in the financial state that he inherited and where they are now. You can measure it in terms of two thrilling championship title wins and, and a brand of football, which, you know, Norwich fans will salivate for for many years. All of those are hugely positive and they will be a tribute to his legacy and he, uh, and wherever he goes from now and however this plays out from now. But also, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, flag those elements, you equally have to say palpably he's been, found wanting in terms of Premier League recruitment for two two consecutive seasons now. First time in his defence, he didn't have really the funds to do anything. Second time around, he certainly did. And he said at the time, 
if we go down, it won't be as a result of what we spent or, or the recruitment uh, in terms of the scale of it. You know, that will not be used as mitigation. So as a result, we'd take him at his word. And when he does do some media, he, he can't really say, well, we only spent 50 million. Look at what X spent or, or Y spent, you know, because that won't wash. Because we, if we judge him by his own measure and his own sound bites, he said it wouldn't be about this time around about their recruitment, both in scale and, and scope. So, you know, it's, I've said it a few times already. I think his next public utterances uh, as Norwich City Sporting Director are the most important since he took over in 2017 because they will either frame what comes next and whether he's a, a leading part of that and whether fans are willing to accept that and get behind what comes next. Or, you know, if it's if it if it has the same impact in a negative fashion as that recent Times interview, then then it's very hard to see where we go with him uh, and more broadly the football club because that would be deeply troubling if there's no acceptance of where they've gone wrong and and, and some understanding of of what they're going to do to put that right. So, make no mistake, he's in a very difficult position, and that probably you know. You know, it's well documented. We're we're on the outside at present, but but that may be why we are sat here recording this on Tuesday lunchtime, and and we yet to hear from the club because they they know presumably internally that the next time he has a microphone put under his nose or a a camera switched on or or a dictaphone, um, what he says and how he says it uh, really can can shape the narrative can transform the mood both in a positive and a negative way it is as important as that it really is and uh you know i wouldn't really envy him being in that position knowing that you know he needs to come out and perform in a way that he's never performed before that is for sure because um you know if he still believes a he's the person to drive it b he wants to be the person to drive it beyond you know as we were told, when it, when his existing deal runs out the end formally at the end of this month, and then the rolling contract, which he'd verbally agreed, kicks in. We're still to have it confirmed if he has actually signed that. But it, but if he still believes he wants to be part of it, then you know he's got a job on to convince a lot of sceptical fans that is for sure that that he is the man to take this forward now. Um, and in terms of your broader point about, you know, is this a marked departure? It's probably still too early to tell in terms of have we now diverged in a radical fashion from what Daniel Farkas stood for, what he was about, the type of football. Because to go back to the previous point, you know, Dean Smith, I don't think, has done anything more than inherit a group of players and tried by hook or by crook to, you know, go to every page of the coaching playbook in a, in a desperate attempt to, to, to meld something from constituent parts that he inherited. So it is too premature, I think, to say we've had a radical departure in terms of the football and, and the Norwich way. And, you know, it just popped into my head. Actually, Dean Smith did say recently that I wouldn't be here if my beliefs and, and sort of footballing philosophy didn't chime with, with Stuart Webber. He actually said that. So you would argue probably we haven't seen much evidence of if Stuart Webber's philosophy was was encapsulated by how Daniel Farker moulded a Norwich City team, then we've seen precious little of that so far. But if Dean Smith feels he's on the same page as Stuart Webber and Stuart Webber still believes in those guiding principles, then, by definition, we should start to see evidence of a style of play which is attractive, which is progressive, which is pleasing on the eye, as it was under Daniel when, when he got his feet under the table uh, and was able to sort of mould a, a team in his image, basically. So... 
yeah, too early in terms of the footballing dimension of this project, but in terms of what they stand for, what they believe in, what they think is possible. You know, that's an interesting element for me of when Stuart Webber speaks next up. Is there going to be any acceptance or understanding or concession that a self-funded model comes with limitations that maybe will, will, will always preclude them from being competitive in the Premier League? You know, I, I don't expect him to frame it quite in those terms, but but will that be the inference that, yes, we made mistakes, I made mistakes, we got a few things wrong, but ultimately... I don't think the self-funded model will be able to sustain us in the Premier League. You know, that would be an interesting dynamic. Um, what that would say for moving forward as well. It would probably pose more questions at this stage um, until there's some ownership change. And, and that does change. Because if you're saying that the, the there is a ceiling, there is there is a limit to what can be achieved, maybe they've achieved the maximum they can under this model, which is a whole different you know debate. But um, But as I say, you know, we can talk and talk and talk and talk, but there's only one person who needs to talk now. And that's the sporting director. Yeah, I'm just going to bounce it back to you, Pat, because I mean, we we haven't actually discussed this in a podcast, and I don't want to go on, uh, you know, into into real length about it because we don't want to make it about us. But uh, I think it's probably maybe clear to to point out why we we keep maybe hinting at us not not actually being in the room when that media takes place uh, with Stuart Webber, as as things stand, we're, we're not expecting to be. Um, so, so just sort of rather than what's happened, because I think most people probably know that where we are at with it, because it, it at the moment it, it hasn't really moved on in truth in terms of our dialogue with with either Stuart Webber or the club necessarily. Uh, no, whereas as you were, Connor, yeah, there's been very little dialogue really, uh, if we're being honest, with the football club since um, though those uh, rather rather. Uh, um, uncomfortable few days around the Newcastle um, interview prior to from the Times then obviously that evening news front page we don't need to go into the minutiae of it but but Stuart Webber's reaction to that just to reiterate um, was will not engage with our organisation um, on as a result of that front page and, and, and given that Stuart Webber is widely expected to actually do some media um, we won't be part of that part of that in terms of in the room and asking questions on behalf of fans. I hasten to add, as I've reiterated a few times, you know, that's all we are. We're a channel uh, and without blowing our own trumpet, a rather, rather wide channel, rather deep channel uh, within the local market. And it, it seems very strange that they don't want to use those channels to communicate directly with a fan base who are frustrated and in some quarters disgruntled. Um, but as we sit here and record, there's been no communication from club figures to suggest that there is any thaw in terms of Stuart Webber, but it's worth reiterating, you know, there's no there's no ban. It's not like we can't go and speak to Dean or wasn't able to go and speak to Dean Smith and ask Dean Smith questions. We were. Um, you know, but there's there's degrees of of uh, how this may play out from here, obviously, uh, as we move into you know, transfer windows and, and tours and what have you, and then beyond that the, the football season to come. So fundamentally, you know. We're, we're open, willing, and very happy to uh, try and de-escalate uh, the situation. But you need two uh, parties, shall we say, to be willing to do that. And uh, as we sit here, that isn't the case. So um, nobody wins fundamentally. And, uh, and until there's an acceptance on all sides that is the case, then uh, you know we'll continue to be in a holding pattern. But it, it certainly won't preclude us from covering the club. Um, as we have done, as we will continue to do. You know, we we were there in League One. I didn't see too many national media types there. Um, we were there 
in the Glen Rhoda era. I don't want to go down a long historical uh, timeline, but essentially, where wherever, whenever Norwich City have played in many decades, uh, our company and whatever various guys it's been called has been there every step of the way, and that will continue. Yes, absolutely. Um, just finally, then a, a couple of uh, of parish notices at the at the end of the pod. Uh, Lucas Rupp has or is going to 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 leave the club at the end of his his contract. Adam, uh, there's been kind of some uh, split opinion on this. I, I quite I, I quite like Lucas Rupp. I thought he was a a good player, particularly when when we saw the best of him. I, I would argue last season in the championship in that central midfield role. I think from what we're led to believe, it was a fairly mutual parting of the ways. Um, probably neither party particularly keen to to extend his stay but probably one on reflection that that got damaged by by injuries really because we saw glimpses of sometimes quite a good player certainly one that could make an impact at at this level but uh, I think it was only 60 or 70 games that he played for the club not a massive amount for someone who who signed obviously in the, in January 2020 but um how, how would you reflect on on his time at the club yeah, 62 games, two goals, three assists. So not particularly high numbers in terms of his sort of contribution towards goals. Um, he's a very technically gifted midfielder. I thought he always gave 110%. And I was actually, similarly to you, I thought he was quite a good midfielder. And particularly this season when he's sort of come on the pitch, well, mainly off the bench. I've actually thought he's come on and made a bit of an impact. I sort of go back to certain other games this season, especially well, sort of around about that Christmas period when he came on. And I, th- I thought he was probably the best midfielder on the pitch in quite a few games. So definitely at championship level, there was a player there that you could have, I think Dean Smith, you know, liked him as well. So there's definitely a player there you could have used and, and utilised to, you know, your own benefits. But effectively, as it's come down to, it's the injury record that's the problem. And Norwich can't probably afford a player that's probably demands quite high wages on their books and he's not actually contributing much on the pitch in terms of minutes. So for that reason, it, it probably is best to to part ways with them and get someone in with a little bit more of a, a fresh injection, maybe a little bit of a younger profile that maybe knows the championship as well and Norwich can maybe build off for, for future seasons rather than Lucas Rupp maybe for just one more season where you'd then have to replace him if you eventually got another promotion to the Premier League or albeit another championship season the year after. Indeed, and I suppose finally, Pad. Um, the the only other real thing to to speak about is is Timo Buki and the Player of the Season. I mean, no real surprise in that. We we were all kind of sat here last week, and I think he was top of all of our top threes, and I think he was probably top three of all the fans who who voted or or managed to to get a vote in. Um, it was uh, obviously he was he was presented with his trophy on Sunday, but uh, the actual kind of announcement was made in the middle of the week, which has been done for the last two years. But of course, those were. Those were in COVID times, as traditionally been done uh, in front of fans on the final day of the season. Um, but he was presented with it. Bryony Williams won the, the the women's award as well. Uh, the goalkeeper who had a, a played a major part in their sort of survival campaign. But for for Timu Puki, it's he it, it becomes the ninth player to to win it twice. It's an exclusive club that he's in. It's a another record that we're speaking about with him. But uh, just to to touch upon him and. And the award. I mean, at times he's 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 made Norwich feel a bit like a one-man team. But after the the contribution and the performances that he's had this season, he was he was probably the the only winner, wasn't he? Really? Yeah, hard, hard to hard to other than Grant Hanley. Certainly hard to construct an argument. There was a there was a viable alternative. I mean, you say that he's won it twice now. Few would bet against him emulating. Uh, and we did Adam and myself and, and Sam. We did the Monday Night Club on the Pink and Plus uh, podcast about. Comparing him with Grant uh, Grant uh, Grant Holt, sorry, yeah, Grant. I was going to say Grant Hanley then, but Grant Holt, uh, who 
as we know, won it three times in that magnificent kind of rich era uh, led by Paul Lambert, which went League One, Championship, Premier League, Premier League. Um, but obviously there's a big caveat there. And although they've contractually took up the 12 months and, and contractually he would be here for another season because of what he did, you know, 11 goals again for the second consecutive Premier League season in a, a poor, poor team, a failing team. Uh, and also, I think he was top assist maker as well. Just phenomenal, really, uh, that he's carried that burden of responsibility. Um, but that will not go unnoticed, I'm sure. Clubs in, in England and further afield will have a look at him this summer. Um, but if Nor- Norwich, going back to the previous discussion about what the transfer window needs to look like, could look like, obviously, they need to keep him in the building, absolutely. Um, and if they do that, then I, I wouldn't injury permitting um, I wouldn't put against him uh, you know possibly winning it for a third time which would be uh, you know not not the most uh, not the most uh, maybe broader outside of Norfolk and Norwich uh, the eye-catching achievement of him in a Norwich shirt but certainly I think that would be an accurate reflection of the massive uh, impact he's had uh, he's a legend he's a modern day legend and uh, you know However, it goes from here. Now he can he can leave, and I'm sure he's always guaranteed a, a very very warm reception because uh, he's been a, a special player, uh, a special character as well. And uh, it was nice that you know that was recognised. Um, but let's hope it's not the end of the team Pukki uh, Norwich City story. Absolutely not. Um, there we go. Thank you, gents. I think that's that's probably the last words, hopefully, that we'll ever have to utter on this season. It's been uh, it's been pretty horrendous, hasn't it? No doubt it won't be though. There's there's plenty more to still be written and, uh, and covered on it. Of course, that marks kind of our last podcast of the season. We'll, we'll keep them going throughout the summer for for various reasons. I, they they may well end up maybe not being as uh, as consistent as they are through the regular season, where there's so much to talk about. But we'll certainly uh, we'll certainly bring them to you as and when. Maybe when there's a, a, a signing or um, someone eventually does come out and, and, and speak, we'll, we'll certainly uh, bring some reflective words uh, via a podcast to you then. But we've we've spoken probably hours about Norwich City this season on here. We've written uh, God knows how many words and, and travelled loads of miles. And next season, we get to do all the same again. I think Norwich City's closest away trip uh, next season is Luton, which is 100 miles. So, um, we're going to be we're going to be spending a fair amount on petrol, I, I should think. Gents, thank you very much uh, for joining me. Thank you all very much for listening today and throughout the season. Enjoy uh, the summer. The, the weather's started to get out a little bit more, hasn't it? So um, go away. Think, don't think about football for a little while, and hopefully uh, come back in a, in a few weeks when that uh, that new season optimism will hopefully begin to build. See you soon.